We've been working our way through this chapter, and tonight we're going to deal with verses 13, 14, and 15 in James chapter 5. Follow along with me as we read those verses. James 5, beginning with verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Father, thank you once again for your word. We do pray for your Holy Spirit leadership and guidance as we look to this passage. Lord, you know it's a difficult one, but we thank you that you, you've given us the author of the book to help us. Now I pray for your blessing. I pray for hearts to be open and receptive to the truth that you have for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Titled is simply, The Prayer of Faith. The Prayer of Faith. Our text verses for this evening are a continuation of James' exhortations in view of the coming of the Lord. In verse 7, he calls for believers to be patient or to endure the hardships of the Christian life. Then in verse 9, he instructs believers not to hold grudges one against another. In verse 12, James warns against swearing or taking oaths or using improper uh, language. Now in verses 13 through 18, James switches to the subject of prayer. The verses before us are somewhat difficult and controversial. There is the instructions given to the afflicted, to the merry, and to the sick. There is the instruction for the sick to call for the elders to anoint them with oil and to pray over them. There is the instruction for believers to confess their faults one to another. And James reminds us of the power of proper praying using Elijah as our example. So we're going we're gonna to look at these three verses, and I want you to notice some things with me tonight. Notice the first thing is some timely advice. James frames his advice through three questions. Question number one, is any among you afflicted? Now, normally when I read that, I'm thinking of sickness. But we'll deal with sickness a little later. I don't think that's what James had in mind there. He said, is any among you afflicted? The word afflicted means to suffer hardship or to experience trouble. And I think he was talking in general about the difficulties and the hardships that believers can, can face. Afflicted here has a much wider application than just suffering from health issues. It's any circumstance which may come upon us that's of a negative sort. The word afflicted here means to suffer evil blows from the outside world. We think about some people in the Bible who we know suffered affliction. I thought about Jeremiah. Jeremiah suffered great opposition. Ezekiel, Ezekiel suffered bereavement. Hosea suffered marital breakdown. Paul suffered a multitude of hurtful things or afflictions. So when he's talking about as any afflicted, he's not talking about sickness. He's talking about negative things, hurtful things in your life. And then he gives the answer. He says, let him pray. James reminds believers of the availability of help 
when we are afflicted, and that availability is through prayer. Prayer is the greatest resource for those undergoing affliction. Prayer is the available source of solace and strength for God's people in all ages and under all conditions. Go over uh, to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, if you will. And the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're to come boldly to that throne of grace and we do that through our prayers. Thank God that the throne of grace is open to us. We know that when, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom, indicating that we now have access to the Father and that we can come anytime and in any place, really, we can come to him and come boldly. Um, that doesn't mean with a haughty spirit. It means to come with confidence that he's going to hear us and answer us. I thought about Esther and the book of Esther and if you'll remember when Haman was, was uh, carrying on his wicked deeds, uh, Mordecai went to Esther and said, Esther, you have to go to the king, and you have to beg for the lives of, of our people. And uh, long story short, she said, okay, I'll do that, but here's the condition, that I'm going to fast and pray for three days, and I want the Jewish people to fast and pray for three days, then I'll go. She knew the power of prayer and the avenue of prayer and uh, fasting and prayer. Prayer is turning to God with the recognition that he alone can help us. You know, it, it's a sad thing, but many times it comes to that place where, let's pray, has it come to that? We try everything else. <clears throat> we do everything else we know to do, and then we decide, well, when all else has failed, now I need to pray. That's, that's totally upside down. We should, we should pray first and ask God what we should do and how we should do it and uh, bathe things in prayer. Now, prayer is a turning to God with the recognition he alone can help us. That doesn't mean that we're to pray only when we're afflicted, but especially when we're afflicted. Now, we ought to be people of prayer. Amen, preacher, that's right. We ought to be people of prayer. And that means, uh, the Bible says, uh, uh, pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean that we walk around with our eyes closed and pray all day long, but we're in that attitude, that, that con connection with God, if you will, all the time. And, uh, and we're, to, we're to have a daily prayer time. I believe that we ought to have a devotional time every day where we get alone with God, and it's just Him and us. And we speak to him and allow him to speak to us in our prayer closet. Jesus is the one who said, enter into your closet and pray. Now, he didn't mean a literal closet. What he was saying is a place where you're alone with, with the Lord. And we ought to have that. But it shouldn't only be when we're afflicted. Now, I know this by experience. Most Christians pray more ardently and earnestly when they are afflicted. Hmm? You know, we don't like affliction, but one thing affliction does, it drives us to our knees. And thank the Lord for that. If, if it wasn't for hardships, we'd probably never speak to the Lord. Hmm. 
sometimes, you know, think about this. Maybe sometimes that's why we have to go through hardships. He's trying to get our attention, trying to get us to talk to him. But at any rate, when we're in affliction, we ought to pray. I made a little note here. Some folks only pray when they're in trouble and suffering, and that ought not to be the case. So is any afflicted? And uh, we can identify with that, afflictions. But then he goes on in question number two. He says, is any merry? Look there in verse 13. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Now notice he didn't say songs. He said psalms. And uh, merry, as it's used here, means to have feelings of well-being. Uh, it's to have this inner peace in spite of the afflictions or persecutions that's going on around us. I thought about the Apostle Paul. Remember when he was on that ship and they were in the storm? How many of you remember that? And uh, 14 days they were in the storm. Listen, I can't imagine being in the storm one day, but 14 days they were in that storm. But in all of that, as we read about the Apostle Paul, he's not upset. As a matter of fact, he's kind of cheerful, if you will. Uh, go over there to Acts 27. Acts 27, I want you to notice something here. Look at verse 22. Now remember, they're in this storm, they've been in the storm, they've lightened the ship, they've done everything they know to do, and they think they're going to sink. And here's what Paul says in verse 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, that good cheer is the same words that's used for Mary in the context we're dealing with. So Paul says, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. And then in verse 25, he says it again. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. So we, we find that that idea of Mary is being of good cheer and, uh, and peace in the heart, if you will. The word Mary has to do with the well-being of the soul and disposition of the mind. And then he says, is any Mary let him sing psalms? And those psalms are expressions of our thanks to God in song as of a definite, and uh, you know, it's a good thing to have a merry heart. I read over in Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bone. You know, it's, it's good to laugh. Yeah, and it's good to have a merry heart because it does do good like a medicine. Listen, uh, we're not to walk around kicking our lower lip and, you know, moaning and groaning. We're to have a merry heart. And when you have that right kind of spirit, that right kind of attitude, it carries over into all parts of your life. Somebody said this, a Christian who refuses to sing is usually grumpy and miserable. Hmm. Think about it. And then question number three, he says, is any sick among you? Now we get to the sickness aspect here. Is any sick among you? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is any sick among you? The word sick means weak, feeble, diseased, without strength or ill. Christians do get sick. I'm sure you know that. You say, well, preacher, everybody knows that. No, everybody don't know that. There are some people who teach that Christians should never be sick. The Christian scientist. Now, I didn't say Scientology. I said the Christian scientist. They believe that all sickness is a thing in your mind. And that if you have the right mindset, you won't have any sickness. Well, that's not true. Sickness is a part of life. Christians get sick. The Christian scientist claims that Christ liberated us from all sickness. That's not true. Why, Paul was one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, and he had his issues. And uh, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and we find others who uh, have sickness. Sin causes both sickness and death in the world. Have you ever dealt with somebody and they say, well, uh, I don't understand why if God's such a loving and kind God. Why, why is there sickness? Why do little babies get sick and that kind of thing? The answer to that is very simple. Because sin entered into the world. Sickness is the result of sin. Now that don't mean that because a person's sick that there's some grave sin in their life. No, what it means is there was no sickness until sin entered into the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, they opened a floodgate of all kinds of negative things in our world, and uh, we have to suffer because of it. And sickness is just one of those sins, uh, one of those things. Sin causes both sickness and death in the world. And then he gives the answer. They're instructed not to pray like those afflicted. He doesn't, doesn't say there in verse, uh, he says the afflicted let him pray. But he says to them, not for them to pray, if you're afflicted, but to call for the elders and uh, have them pray and anoint them with oil. Now, elders here refers to overseers or pastors. And now, get what this thing is saying, what James is saying here. He says the sick are not to come to the elders, but they're to call the elders to come to them. Maybe Benny Hinn ought to read that. Hmm? These healers encourage people to come to them to be healed, but that's not what the Bible teaches. It says that they should call for the elders, but the elders would come to them. And uh, they're not to go to the healers or have healers come to them. The elders are to pray over them and to anoint them with oil. Now, this is a controversial passage here. Um, I, I can say this because I've heard him preach it. Pastor Fadena does not believe in anointing people with oil and praying over them for healing. Now, he believes in praying over them, but he doesn't believe in the, in the anointing with oil, and that's his prerogative. Uh, but many feel that this is for us today, that you can anoint with oil and, uh, and pray the prayer of faith, and I don't have a problem with people that want to do that. But understand this, it's not the oil that has any effect. There's no magic in the oil. Now, I haven't heard it recently, but 
Uh, years ago, I, I heard a fellow on the radio selling healing oil. If you'll send me, and he gave a dollar amount, I'll send you a vial of this, this healing oil, and uh, you can uh, anoint yourself or anoint other people with it, and they'll be healed. Liar, liar, pants on fire. There's no such thing. And while I'm there, there's no such thing as healing cloths either. When I was in Gastonia, I had some, I don't even know who it was, sent me this healing cloth, and it was a piece of, of material that if you had something that was ailing you, you would lay this on it, and you would be healed. And, of course, they were asking for a donation for their healing cloth. And uh, I put it in, in the circular file, if you know what that is, my trash can. Amen. Listen. It's not a matter of oil. It's not a matter of healing cloths. It's a matter of prayer of faith. And that's what James is emphasizing here. Now, there are two Greek words that are translated to anoint. One of them is kairo, kairo, C-H-I-R-O. And that has reference to the religious or spiritual type anointing, sacred anointing. And then aletheo refers to a secular rubbing with oil. Now, the word that's used here is that rubbing with oil. And so it's, well, let me put it this way. James uses the word to rub here, and it was used for medicinal or therapeutic purposes. And I made a little note. This kind of anointing is not a religious rite, nor is it a sacrament. Now, I want to emphasize that because the Roman Catholics have taken this and uh, they've made a sacrament out of it. How many of you have ever heard of extreme unction? Extreme unction. How many of you ever heard of last rites? That's what extreme unction is. It's just a fancy word for it. And uh, that means that when somebody's dying, uh, they call the priest and he comes and anoints them and prays over them and uh, that's supposed to relieve them from all their sin so, so that they don't have to go to hell. Well, listen, that's not biblical, and that's not what James is teaching here. But they've made the, the sacrament out of it. Well, there's two different schools of thoughts concerning this anointing with oil. Some people say it's, it's symbolic, and symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I could see that the, in the Bible, oil is, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit in many instances. So I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Others say the oil is simply medicinal. Um, again, this is Pastor Fidena's point of view, that it's, it's just a rubbing on like the Greeks, uh, when they were going into athletic contests, would rub their bodies with oil uh, in a medicinal way. But it's not the oil, it's the prayer of faith that is efficacious for healing. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us this, But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God rewards those who come to him in prayer. And this prayer of faith is nothing more than coming to him in prayer, believing. 
The anointing of the oil symbolizes the sick, sick person's faith. Listen, that's why they call for the elders to come and anoint them and pray because they believe in the power of prayer. He's calling for the elders to anoint him and pray over him because he has faith that God can heal him. Now, there's, as I said, there's no magic in the oil. But I did think about this. There's the, the idea of the oil. Uh, it's a visible symbol, if you will. It's a symbol of God's comfort and God's care and God's grace and God's mercy. I couldn't help but think about uh, Psalm 23, I believe it's verse 5, where it says the shepherd uh, anoints my head with oil. And I, when I read that, I imagine a shepherd taking the little sheep and actually rubbing oil in that sheep's head and uh, comforting that sheep. Now, I don't know what all is behind all that, but I see that picture there. Comfort, care, grace, and mercy. It's the elders who do the praying. And he says there, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so, uh, by the way, elders speaks of the leaders of the church. That's who it's talking about. Uh, elder is a, is a synonym for pastor. And uh, so those who are sick are to call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Somebody said this, when God heals, it is an answer to the earnest prayers of his people and it is in accordance with his will. He does not guarantee to heal everybody. Amen. Some people take these verses and they say, well, it's God's will to heal everybody. And they believe that if they pray over a person and they don't get healed, it's because the person didn't have enough faith. I remember in Gastonia, we had a girl come to the church. Uh, she was in a wheelchair. And uh, she had talked to me extensively about some of her experiences with church. And she was very reluctant to come to church because of her experiences. She shared with me, she went, went to one church, and at the end of the service, they had her come forward, and, uh, and they all came and gathered around her and prayed over her that she would be healed and be able to walk. Well, she didn't get out of the wheelchair. And they prayed again, and she didn't get out of the wheelchair, and they prayed again. And after a, a season of prayer there, where there was nothing going on and she wasn't getting out of that wheelchair, they looked at her and blamed her and said the reason was she didn't have enough faith. That poor girl was crushed. But some people, you know, they, they take things out of context and they try to make the Bible say things it doesn't say. Listen, God doesn't heal everybody. That's why people die. People get sick and die. That's a reality. And... Uh, now, sometimes God does heal people. He can do that. But it's God that does the healing. It's not somebody who lays hands on anybody. By the way, there's no reference here to laying hands on anybody. It doesn't say uh, smack them in the forehead and they'll be healed. No, it says anoint them with oil. You know, we chuckle, but it's a shame how many people are duped and how many people are led astray by, by these fake healers. 
and how many people are so disappointed by the fake healers. Well, let me finish that statement. Uh, there's no guarantee in healing everybody. Again, I thought about the Apostle Paul. How he begged God three times to remove his thorn in the flesh. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. This is a hard saying, but I'm going to say it. Sometimes it's God's will for people to be sick. Think about that. You say, well, why would God want anybody to be sick? I don't know all the reasons, uh, but sometimes God allows people to be sick. Somebody mentioned the fact that sometimes sickness is disciplinary. Sometimes people are sick because there's sin in their life. Now, that doesn't mean that when somebody's sick, automatically we start pointing the finger and saying, well, you got sin in your life. We'd be like the friends of Job, you know, when, when he was sitting on that ash heap and scraping the sores on his body, they came to him and said, the reason you're here is because you have sin in your life. No, we can't assume that. But sometimes it is. Sometimes sin comes as a result, or uh, sickness comes as a result of sin. The prayer of faith then is spoken of here uh, because the action taken, the anointing with oil and the offered prayer were both done in the name of the Lord. It's a prayer of faith in him. As I said, God does the healing, not the man. And, and it's a result of faith and prayer. When we pray in the name of the Lord, understand we're praying for his will and therefore, we can exhibit confidence or faith that God's will is going to be done. The prayer of faith. Now, when we come and pray for people to be healed, naturally, our desire, our want, is that they would be healed. We don't want to see people suffering and going through sickness and those kind of things. But once again, remember, it's not always God's will to heal them, so we have to be submitted to his will and pray in the name of the, the Lord. And the results of such a prayer are physical health, if God wills to save the sick. And the verse says there, uh, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, we're not going to deal with that if he's committed sins tonight. We'll deal with that maybe next time. Uh, we've got a lot more to deal with here in these verses uh, on this matter of prayer. And I want to remind you that verses 13 through verse 18 all are based around the subject of prayer. And James dedicates those verses to, to this, this subject because it's that important. I, I, I nearly did not preach this tonight and preach the message on prayer because of the importance of prayer. No prayer, no power. Much prayer, much power. And I think one of the, one of the uh, things that is most missing in Christians' lives today is earnest, sincere, effectual, fervent prayer. The other thing I think is missing is Bible study and Bible reading. Now, our society has made us very busy. Everybody's busy. And uh, we have filled our lives with activity. 
And somehow we've equated activity with, with goodness. Well, I think it's good to be active, but we can't be so active that we don't have time for the Lord. Hmm? I think the, the time of, that we dedicate to the Lord in our devotional time is so vital to the Christian life. That time we spend before we start out on our day, that we spend with him and ask him to help us to live for him and, and, and to get the, the mind of God, if you will, before we set out on our day. It's so important. Prayer. One of the most neglected things in the Christian's life and yet one of the most important. The effectual fervent prayer, he says here, of a righteous man availeth much. Would you classify your prayer as effectual and fervent? You know, prayer, prayers, prayers work. If you're really going to be a prayer warrior, so to speak, it takes effort. And it takes discipline. If you're waiting for prayer to just happen in your life, it's not going to happen. We've, we've got to make a decision that I'm going to have a prayer life, uh, a, an effectual, fervent prayer life. We've got to set aside the time. We've got to find the place. And we've got to discipline ourselves to stay with it. Do you know your flesh hates prayer? Yeah. It's, it, it taxes the flesh. Uh, especially if you kneel when you pray. Those old knees get tired, don't they? Mm-hmm. The flesh hates prayer, and, and one of the reasons I, I like to pray when I'm driving is because it keeps me awake. Hmm? Don't look at me that way, like I'm not spiritual. <laughs> but I've learned, if, if I kneel down to pray, I'm going to fall asleep. I have sleep apnea. I can go to sleep in a heartbeat. So what do I do? I combat that and find a way that I can stay awake. Listen, if you've got to walk around and pray, walk around and pray. I don't think God's upset about that. If you can kneel and pray, then fine, kneel and pray. But the key there is pray. Whatever it takes, whatever is going to suit you, and, and you work out with the Lord, but work out something to where you get with him and you spend time with him because it's so vital to get the mind and the heart of the Lord and, and, and the power of God on our life and the leadership and direction of the Lord. You'd be amazed at how many times God will give you answers to dilemmas in your prayer time. Other times he'll give you answers to your, to your questions and dilemmas in your Bible study time. But if you're not spending that time, you're never going to see it. And here, here's what happens when you, when you don't have your proper devotional life, we'll call it that, you're going to become weak and anemic as a Christian. You're not going to have the strength you need to have 
to fight off all the influences that are trying to influence us. So it's vital. It's important. And we'll talk a little more about that uh, maybe next time or soon. Um, there's some other things I want to glean out of these verses for you. But we're, we're going to stop there for tonight. But he says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he had committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And we'll deal with that. Um, people question, well, what's that mean? We'll deal with that later. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for James and what he's written and the, the encouragement, the instruction that he's given us that we need to be a prayerful people. We know, Lord, it takes discipline to be a prayerful people. And it, it takes work to pray. Our flesh doesn't like prayer. The old man, the natural man, don't like prayer. But we've got to fight the battles and stand firm and true and right and do that which will please you and glorify you and be a help to us spiritually that we could learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we study these verses, show us truth that we might know exactly what you have for us from them. We know you didn't just put these verses here to fill the space. There's truths that we need to glean. Help us to do that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.